You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 354, picnics with the royal family. Uh, what's the deal with Kanye West? And is it time to reevaluate The Simpsons? The best of The Simpsons and the worst of The Simpsons. Oh, stupid monkeys. It's all coming up after Steely Dan and Barry Time. friend who has a habit of asking people the name of their favourite band and before they answer he says it doesn't matter they're not as good as Steely Dan <laughs> your friend sounds like a delight and it's, well, it's hard to argue with, with, yes, with that really I suppose so, yes. my um, best friend's favourite band is Steely Dan so I do have some sympathy to this from 1974 and their third album Pretzel Logic um, mm. the incomparable Steely Dan and Barrytown 
Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 354. I'm Terence Stackham. And I can see by what she carries that she comes from Hastings Town. <laughs> Juliet Harris. Yes, let's not speculate what I need to carry in order yes. to make it obvious that I come from Hastings. Actually, this weekend, something green, because it's the Jack in the Green weekend again here in Hastings, oh, our yes. annual celebration of paganism, um, various... My friend had an emotional experience with some Morris dancers yesterday, so that's what's going on down here at the moment. In the meantime, hello to you all. It's a different world down there, it really it is. is. Uh, Jules, we were talking about royal babies and royal weddings last week, in particular the upcoming marriage between Prince Harry and... Meghan Markle. Indeed, yes. Get by my fold-out chair already. Well, this is it, because I don't know if you've received your invitation yet, but... but, uh, Not yet, but I assume that it's coming in the next post. Well, when it does arrive, it will contain news that will mean you have to carry a rucksack over your wedding frock. Well, that's a pity. It will spoil the look a little, but we've become used to austerity in recent years. This seems a little bit excessive. People who've been invited to attend outside the chapel, as Kensington Palace puts it, to allow members of the public to feel part of the celebrations too. Mm. Um, These people have been advised to, and I quote, bring a picnic lunch as it will not be possible to buy food and drink on site. Now, bearing in mind that uh, these so-called guests will be standing in the on, on the verges outside St George's Chapel for over four hours, and also bearing in mind the cost of supplying light snacks and water to the number of people invited would be about twenty grand. Um, is it fair to ask everyone to turn up, including yourself, of course, with a picnic yes. basket? Well, I will not be a well as we're not attending together. I can therefore yeah. take all these sausage rolls covered in cling films oh, to my delight. Yeah. Regular listeners oh, no. of the podcast will understand uh, this, this kind of yes, this this is uh, different opinions on an ideological issue between the two of us. Um, I am going to defer to somebody else who I think oh. has put this beautifully, far better than I could. And we had the unusual situation of my mum mm. agreeing a with something that she read in the Guardian. Mm. Um, B, that she that something in The Guardian even crossed her radar, <laughs> and C, that something written by Suzanne Moore in The Guardian. Yeah. Suzanne Moore, who I think is excellent, and my mum, who I also think is excellent, yeah. not natural bed bedfellows. Yeah. Um, Suzanne Moore wrote an article, um, and she described it as a pay-as-you-go bash, which I thought was excellent. <laughs> and she said, and I, I'm going to read you, not a huge amount, but a few the a few opening lines, because I think they are very good. Oh, how the, mo- the monarchy is modernising. Look at lovely jokey Harry with his openness about mental health and his glowing fiancée, who astonishingly has had a life, is not a dumb blonde, and says things about female independence. Oh, how they have moved on, this new generation of royals. They are just like us, after all, except they are not. So the latest news about the commoners invited to the royal wedding is really stunning in its declaration of who's who and what's what. Kensington Palace, probably using that wretch-inducing phrase, reach out, (laughs) announced later this year that Meghan and Harry were going to allow members of the public to join in their celebration. Very special people representing youth and diversity, and whisper it quietly, poor people would be allowed inside the perimeter of of, of Windsor Castle. This is not just a wedding, remember. This is an attempt to build a bridge between high society and, well, society. 1,200 hand-picked ordinary people, many from charities that the royal support, will be let into the castle's ground. They will be there for hours and hours, and yet it seems they will not get so much as a volivant. These who work with, those who work with deprived and alienated people have been uh, advised in letters from Lord Lieutenant 
residents to bring in a picnic lunch as it will not be possible to bring, to buy food and drink on site. What possible kind of invite is that? And she goes on to say, <laughs> basically, yeah. um, she said, the one that makes it absolutely clear what's happening, uh, that's what, um, it never had anything to do with altruism. These ordinary people will effectively be extras for the TV coverage. And I think this is pretty much it, isn't it, really? These, these, uh, mm. and I do feel for these people who've been invited in because it must be... <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm not necessarily a royalist, but, you know, if you are someone who, you know, works with the private people or whatever, and you get invited to this royal wedding, it must be quite exciting. I can imagine that even if you're not particularly pro, you know, you must say, oh, that's quite nice that I've been invited to this. And if you are pro, it must be massively, massively mega. So... You know, if you are working with deprived people, as she points out, you're probably not being paid a great deal because that seems to be the way of the world nowadays. Yes. Um, I do think it is exceptionally mean-spirited to, to, you know, whether or not you're anti-royal. I think that it is a bit of a PR blunder that you go to the trouble of inviting these people, which is a very good thing to do. And then the fact that you won't even give them food... And, and, you know, they have to bring their own. They can't even buy food in there. I, I, I think it's pretty poor, to be honest. And I think Suzanne Moore is right to be cynical when she says that they're just going to end up, you know, being extras for the TV coverage. It doesn't look like the most altruistic motive ever, does it, really? When you look at estimates of the net worth of the royal family, they varies between £400 million and um, £1 billion. I mean, they have got money. Let's not say that they haven't. Exactly. It does seem rather <laughs> a shame they can't stump up a, a few quid for crisps and, as you say, sausage rolls for people that they've invited to the wedding. It'd be different Absolutely. if it was people just hanging around the gates, but these are people they've actually sent exactly. invited. That's I mean, no, no one's necessarily asking for lobster. How hard <laughs> is it? I mean, I went on a course some years ago up in London. I'm not saying that it was like the Royal Wedding. It wasn't at all. I believe it was in the Olympia. And, um, and we, were said, we were told that lunch was provided and usually when you go on courses, you go downstairs and there's a reasonable sort of serve-yourself-style buffet or, or you know, it, even if it is a bit schooled in, it's still pretty good quality. This particular course was quite a cheap course, which should have warmed me beforehand. <laughs> it was about £99, I think, for all day, which is, you know, quite quite cheap. So I went up to this kind of, you know, it was, it was, a, it was as part of a kind of a, a, a show that was going on, a trade show that was going on. So I went up and... When we came out of one of our, our little course rooms at lunch, um, we were pointing in the direction of lunch, which was all pre-packaged in plastic bags, and we were all given our plastic bag-packed lunch, and it had a sandwich, and I seem to remember it had a Yorkie bar in it, and an apple and some crisps, and there was not enough seating, so we all sat along window ledges in slightly Blitzkrieg-style um, style, uh, Blitz spirit sort of eating. But, you know, although that wasn't ideal in that scenario, how hard is it to just, you know bulk buy some of those plastic sandwiches in a plastic container and some and some fruit and some crisps and maybe some little chocolate bars and put them in a little bag and give them to people I don't think it's that hard. I think the, the, the posh of the do, the worse uh, the deal with the catering I, when I used to still do <laughs> panels and, and things I used to uh, get invited to such like and that, that, happily that you know I, I don't do that sort of thing anymore I just can't be asked but you um, are still big it's just the panels that got too small exactly um i was invited to uh, uh oxford university a college at oxford university i right. was on a panel and um discussing this and that about media and so on and anyway it said um l- lunch provided so you know oh, fine okay good um and when it came to lunchtime um the um 
uh, chair of the the panel uh, one of the, you know so at lunchtime now and um, pointed myself and other, you know some really honoured guests like uh, Honora O'Neill uh, oh, I wow, queued yeah. up with yeah um, we were sent into the uh, the canteen where we. Um, where we had to queue up with our trays and then pay for our lunch. So when they oh said lunch, lunch was provided, it meant you can go to the canteen and buy your own lunch. But, you know, <laughs> I know. That's, that's quite a that's quite a vague interpretation of that phrase, uh, isn't it? It's like, it's like saying the Ritz is open to everyone. Yes, the Ritz <laughs> is open to everyone who can afford to, to stay there. Continuing on a food food thing, though, the, the housing minister, uh, Dominic Robb, has oh. been in the news this week, rather by accident, as one of his assistants got caught up up in a tabloid story but what emerged as part of uh, that sort of sting really is that this assistant revealed that Mr Raab has exactly the same lunch every single day uh, a pret-a-manger chicken and bacon baguette a pot of fruit and a smoothie the same flavour every day now this has been commented on as being rather eccentric so I just want to check with you Jules do you have the same lunch a la Dominic Raab every single day well, and this is one of those things where my opinion on this has changed since I spoke to you when we started mm. our conversation before we started reporting the, recording the podcast, because initially I thought it was a rather bizarre kind of way to proceed. Having said that, though, when I think about it, if I am organised, yes. uh, I pack my own lunch... I do tend to pack myself the same thing oh, every day. Actually, see, I tend, I tend to, I tend to pack a dairy dunk. But then the reason why I pack my same lunch every day mm. is because um, it is economically sensible to do that. It's economically sensible to buy things in bulk. So I buy my dairy uh, lunchable dunkers in bulk, and uh, and my my you know my packets of popcorn in bulk, and and you know my box of cereal bars and and a, a, a what you call bunch of bananas. And that's what I tend to do. If I'm not organised, mm. then I go to tend to to go and buy something else and i and i am a bit more mood based in my kind of eating but no usually if i am organized i tend to eat the same thing and actually when my and this particularly happens when i am very busy at work and i don't have to bother worrying or thinking about what i'm going to go go out and eat so actually i do have some sympathy i i I didn't think i was going to but weirdly (laughs) i think i do and of course you know people like einstein not that i'm comparing to Mm. dominic raab to einstein can i just make that very clear i am not isn't it? Um, and completely inaccurate from mm. all evidence that's been prevent- presented to us so mm. far. But um, I, he used to wear the same thing every day, allegedly, mm. so that he didn't have to expend any extra brain power on deciding what to wear. So maybe it's a very clever approach. I don't think it's peculiar at all. I think find something you like and stick to it. When I go to my favourite um, restaurants, for example, I almost always have exactly the same thing each time I go. If it's good, why change? And well, Yes, okay. No, no, no. Well, in fact, both at home and going out, I probably only rotate about maybe ten dishes in total in in all of my life, and I just keep turning, you know, rotating them round. And the thought of trying new things makes me feel rather anxious. So I, I like the taste of the familiar. You know, no experiments for me, really. Well, that's, and that's that's probably says something psychologically. I think, mm, I think and actually, does, I'd, yeah. I would say that I would split myself here. Mm. So when I'm working, or if I'm at work, or in a usual routine. I, you know, I do like to have the same thing. Mm. But if I am sort of at play, so to speak, or in leisure, mm. I am then more willing to try new things. So for me, eating the same thing every day is utility more than anything else. Mm. So, so it's a kind of a, a pattern of behaviour that I adopt 
if I am working and having to concentrate. But if I don't and I have more brain room, I do like to try new things. Okay. Now, what's up with Kanye West? (laughs) Yes, this podcast will be three hours long, just as a warning. (laughs) That's next after Blondie. do like this i must admit it's not one of the songs that so excuse me that is automatically mentioned very much on parallel lines you know it, it's, mm. it's not necessarily one way or another or hanging on the telephone or picture this or heart of glass it's not one of the ones that is or sunday girl it's not one of the what a great one that is mm. it's not one of the ones that always gets trolled out but i do like that a great deal I, I like its kind of dismissiveness i think it's great so that's just go away by blondie 
Yeah, as you, as you say, six singles were taken from Parallel Lines, um, and uh, that, and that track wasn't one of them. But my favourite Blondie uh, fact is that oh. every studio album that Blondie released, every single one of them was more successful in the UK than the US. So they, they, How interesting! Mm, Did not know that they're 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 the American equivalent of Al Bush, aren't they? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, when I, when I saw that we we were to talk, you know, we're going to talk about Kanye West, I genuinely had to stop for a moment and remind myself why he's famous and of course he said seven number one albums it's easy to forget that well well it is you know it is for me um he he, he made his name in music um he's also involved in several business ventures including sports shoes i believe and of course the music streaming service title which and he's married to a kardashian i think as well well that's the thing i think he's married Mm. to kim kardashian and whether they welcome it or not i think this ensures both of them feature in in tabloid coverage just about every day now, there's a certain level of celebrity where you have so much money and influence that nobody is ever brave enough to say no to you or to, to have enough power to advise against doing or saying daft or damaging things. Yeah. And you, sur- you know, at that level, one surrounds oneself with yes men and women and um, whose next paycheck, of course, depends on them agree- agreeing with your, your sort of every word. Well, yes, of course. And fulfilling your every wish. Now, over recent years, Kanye West has, has made a number of uh, controversial statements. And because he's generally surrounded by sycophants, this was why he, I think he looked so shocked this week when he was confronted by a, a chap called Van Latham. On, and he's an employer at TMZ this mm. week. This was just after an interview on TMZ where Kanye said that 400 years of slavery was a choice. Now, Jules, simple question, really. What the hell is wrong with Kanye West? Well, it's difficult to say, isn't it, really? There are lots of people, lots of um, sort of black celebrities coming out to criticise him. Um, and actually, you know, I don't, I don't know what is going on with Kanye West. I don't know if it is just his usual attention-seeking. He does like to say things to, to seek attention. I mean, I was happy enough when he started tweeting again, and it was his, some, I think the, the girls on the Hilo podcast pointed out that it sounded a little bit like a sort of a, a, a teenage diary, really. <laughs> that he was saying things that he felt were terribly profound that, that yeah. perhaps were not. But now we've tipped over into this this sort of rather worrying analysis of slavery. But, you know, you might say, you know, perhaps Kanye West has better place to to comment on this than me. Me being, you know, a thirty three year old middle class white woman, you know, maybe maybe Kanye West is more, you know, who am I to criticise him for saying these things? But I think it's very telling that, you know, lots of his people that seem to be his friends are turning around and saying, you know, what's going on. So people like John Legend and uh, Will I Am. Mm. And Will I Am said, you know, it, 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 it must be in a strange situation if I'm approving quoting Will I Am, who I used to find to be pretty tedious and attention seeking himself. But he said, I think this is beautifully described, actually. Um, Will I Am said it was, quote, one of the most ignorant statements that anybody who came from the hood could ever say about their ancestors. Um, he's, he, uh, he said, um, um, what did he say? He was quoted as saying that it was not the, um, I'm trying to, t- he said, um, 
uh, Willam said, uh, Willam also said the comments seemed out of character for the Kanye he knows. That's not Kanye, he said. To me, that's a different person that's saying that, and I hope it's not to raise awareness so you could sell a record and some shoes, because that would be the worst thing to do, to stay up this very uh, this very touchy race situation, and you'd be the benefactor from it. So I encourage you, if you really believe this, give your shoes away for free, give your album away for free, and I don't like talking against going about going against my community, but that is harmful. He concluded, I will not throw my ancestors under the bus to profit. So actually, uncharacteristic sense there from Will I Am, I think. Um, I think it is very telling. Um, you know, to what extent do we comment on people saying things that are, you know, unacceptable or... You know, are there other issues at, at, at play here? Kanye, Kanye, you know, what's going on with him? Will I am saying it's not the Kanye he knows? Is there a sort of a mental health dimension here? Having said that, though, if you are in the position of Kanye and you have that level of power and influence, which, you know, like him or not, he invariably does, you know, that's that's still not really acceptable. Someone has to intervene at some point, surely. Yes, well, there's some theories flying around social media, and I'm not sure about this at all, that this whole business is some sort of performance art by Kanye West. In many ways, I wish it it was. It would be easier to explain. Um, Sure, although I'd quite like it to stop now. Yeah, I'm not terribly familiar with his music, I I have to confess, and I don't really follow tabloid stories. The only time I come across Kanye West is when he says something so cataclysmically daft that it crosses over into the newspapers. I see much similarity with his friend, Donald Trump. Both of them appear Mm. to have um, issues, and both are in positions of power. Indeed, Kanye West, of course, has indicated that he would like to have a tilt at becoming president, and the election, <laughs> the, the election of Trump proves that seemingly the most unqualified, can, yeah. yeah, unqualified person can make it all the way to the White House. A lot of musicians have made a name for themselves and people around the music business by saying outrageous, controversial things to generate interest and to appear rebellious yeah. to a young generation. Malcolm McLaren um, used yeah. such techniques to great effect when you know promoting punk and the Sex Pistols in particular. But that was all done. I think the difference is that was all done in a cynical, knowing way. I think the problem with Kanye West is that he doesn't have his tongue in his cheek um, nor any marketing strategy in mind um, when he says and, and does these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I and you know, I am familiar with Kanye West's music mm. because um I remember buying his one of his early albums and I was at law college in Guildford in about two thousand and five, two thousand and six and I thought it was really good. He had a tune called Touch the Sky, which um sampled Move On Up. Um and he also had Gold Digger which was um sampled Ray Charles. So so mm. I've always quite I liked his early music for kind of building on those sort of northern soul and Motown and soul roots which I quite enjoyed. But as time went on with his albums, I found them harder to listen to simply because of the sort of gender politics behind them. So so um, he had an album called Jesus that was released uh, probably would have been about 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. I reckon. And I was, you know, I read lots of things saying how groundbreaking it was and how amazing it was. So I thought, oh, well, I'll give this a listen to see. And... I thought the music was phenomenal. I really loved the beats and the and the sounds that he had. I thought they were really genuinely, you know, sort of mind opening. But all of the lyrics are the usual misogyny and the usual kind of, you know, using dismissive terms about women, just casually using dismissive terms about women. So not necessarily saying, you know, entire thoughts that are very misogynistic, but just, you know, calling women names just just as a kind of a matter of course and i so it doesn't entirely surprise me that Kanye west has dodgy views on race because you know like quite a lot of hip-hop people he seems to exhibit dodgy or casually dodgy views about women god i didn't know that um coming next 
Is it time to reevaluate our love for The Simpsons? Mm. Oh, that's right after Badly Drawn Boy.
Uh, it's the first in a stretch of ten successive top forty single hits here in the UK. Um, can also be that uh, track can also be found on his debut album, The Hour of Bewilderbeast, from the mm. year two thousand. Badly drawn boy and disillusion. I like that very much. I think it is excellent. Great videos. One of the best um, pop videos, I think, of all time. Really, really funny video. Mm, yeah, great. Written by um, Conan O'Brien, it, almost scarcely believable, 25 years ago. Uh, Marge versus the Monorail from the fourth mm. season of The Simpsons remains one of my favourite television shows of all time. Yes, me too. It's one of, one of definitely my top five favourite Simpsons episodes, mm. I think. It's, it's sort of surreal and loopy. And, and like all uh, of my favourite episodes of The Simpsons, it creates a, a bizarre plot line, but with everyone remaining true to their character. And in my opinion, it's that element of all uh, the cartoon cast staying in character, no matter what challenges life in Springfield throws at them. That's one of the overarching reasons for the Simpsons' long Mm. longevity. Um, The monorail episode also, you know, has joke after joke and Homer's, Homer's great question of all time, donuts... Is there anything they can't do? <laughs> um, but now, and, and, a, and, a, and a magnificent song and dance number as well. The Simpsons song and dance numbers in the yes. early years are something to behold. Um, yes, that reminds me of um, Mr. Burns um, singing "See My Vest." Yes, Where indeed, and, and "Planet of the Apes" the musical, and yeah. "Streetcar Named Desire" the, the musical. <laughs> Stella, can't you hear me, Ella? But now, after all these years, questions keep being asked about stereotyping and racism in The Simpsons. Harry Kondabolu, uh, an American comedian, has produced a documentary called The Problem with Apu. Uh, I watched it this week. And in in this, he he describes critically how stereotypes of people originating from India and Pakistan might be perceived. Others have said similar things about groundskeeper Willie and Bumblebee uh, Man. Jules, as awkward as as it is, is it time to revisit and rethink our love for The Simpsons? Well, possibly, possibly. I mean, so my love for The Simpsons is is ever more stretched when more and more of the new episodes are produced, which are just such poor quality Mm. compared to the the first... Well, me and my best friend have a constant debate as to when The Simpsons stopped being good. Um, There's an excellent uh, website, which is sort of an extended essay called Zombie Simpsons, which, which examines the reasons for its decline it's very good actually if you're interested and uh, mm. and w- when it stopped being good that seems to allow it to be good until the end of season 11 i think that it stayed good until the end of season 10 my friend tim thinks it started to suffer after the end of season 9 but you get what i mean mm. we're now we're now on into the into the high 20s in terms of seasons and they're still showing them on channel 4 they tend at the moment to show the older ones at weekends and the newer ones on weeknights so so and they did actually change the title or they updated the title sequence so as someone said if you see a new title sequence of the simpsons uh, usually i usually delete it straight away because it's just not going to be very good and it is it is i think it really has lost its way and it's become i mean my view is that it's become a much meaner program that the early series as you say were very much about a blue co- a sort of a blue collar family trying to make its way in the world and so the early ones are actually quite deeply emotional and are brilliant mm. for that reason. The one where Lisa falls in love with the supply teacher is oh, probably yeah. my favourite because it just deals with so many amazing things in, in 22 minutes, let's not mm. forget. It's almost like, you know, it's like Frasier and the, the ground they 
cover in a small amount of time and that contains the the line which really sums up the the knowingness and heart of early simpson so where um where lisa runs after her leaving supply teacher who she's fallen in love with at the train station and asked him why he has to leave and the the teacher says rather wryly oh that's the problem with being middle class anybody who actually cares will abandon you in favor of those who need it more and i can't imagine a modern day simpsons going anywhere near that really so i i feel that the simpsons declined anyway and is nowhere near as as emotionally engaged and knowing as it once wants having said that this chap's criticisms I think valid criticisms of The Simpsons you know Apu has always been a character in The Simpsons mm-hmm. you know Bumblebee Man has featured for quite a long time in The Simpsons I have more of a problem with Bumblebee Man than I do with Apu actually and I know there's been this big film mm. about Apu but Apu is actually developed as a character in it so although he speaks with this very kind of you know cod Indian voice and calls him Mr. Homer and that um, you know he's given he, he marries they have kids you know he, he, he is given he has a personality in it beyond that although you you mostly see him in the shop mm. he does he does have a sort of a uh you know he does have a hinterland whereas bumblebee man you only ever seem to see him either as an extra or in the context of being bumblebee man so you know being but you know on channel ocho as it's described mm. being this kind of face of channel ocho and you know his his show in it his show with it the show is slapstick so he's always being you know knocking the house down or being or being burnt or or that kind of thing um and shouting i you know no me gusta and things like that so so i i mean you might be able to say that the early seasons of the simpsons were made during a slightly different time let's not forget that you know the program started i'm trying to look up when it when it first started because it started off as short 89 i think 1989 yeah Started started off as shorts on the Tracy Ullman mm. show. They were very badly and differently drawn, and occasionally those characters turn up as a kind of a sort of joke in The Simpsons. But so it started at a slightly different time. Having said that, though, maybe that's just me making excuses because it's a thing I like. Mm. I don't know, but but I think certainly it is thrown into sharper relief when you see the mean spirit of the later episodes and actually and this just sums up latter-day simpsons to me they did try to address the kind of the to clumsily address the accusations made by the apu film and the way they did it was they had marge and lisa when lisa was in bed talking about sort of things that were written in books etc and someone put online that's true that 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 was particularly upsetting Mm. because in the simpsons lisa is always presented as being the most enlightened of all the characters and the most to use our, our modish word of the day woke of all the characters and actually if anything she you know it, it's slightly irritating as the simpsons goes on how they just end up piling all of the causes onto lisa so she's a buddhist and she's a democrat and you know and she's all these things and it was particularly upsetting i think that they tried to use her character to rebut that it was it was as a long-term simpsons fan slash nerd that was that was particularly upsetting so i do think that the simpsons needs to end i've thought that for a very long long time in the past i thought that because it is very poor quality um now i'm thinking that because one of the reasons that makes it poor quality is that it is incredibly mean-spirited i feel and it, it doesn't have any direction it relies on gimmicky novelty episodes and I, it just feels like a shadow of the show it once was and i know that the show it once was did have the character of apu in it but i don't know i i just feel i feel it was handled better then i do feel that he did have 
more to him it was a rounded character though having said that i must confess i haven't seen this film about apu and i am a white person so am i really placed to comment on this of course um one of the issues with uh, Apu is that it's, he's voiced by a white man, Hank Azaria, mm. doing that sort of sing-song yes, Indian that is, accent. That is a huge issue. Yes, mm. I do agree with that. It used to be that it took a generation or two before people looked back in horror at what was thought of as primetime television gold, yeah, maybe I know, 20, 30, 40 years before. I know some people will be quite angry if I say much of Spike Milligan's work in the 1970s simply couldn't be shown today because of no, its the part, awful... I mean, curry and chips, for Oh, example. my goodness. Dreadful, yeah. yeah. Absolute racial stereotyping in it is, in that show in particular is just absolutely appalling. It felt it felt it at the time, and now, funnily enough, I looked at a clip of, um, of curry and chips this week, and oh, my goodness me, I mean, it just... It doesn't even bear, you know. You you really do have to watch it through your through your fingers, you know. Um, and there were other awful shows like um, Love Thy Neighbor, Mind Your Language that just you know squirm inducing. But now I think life moves much faster, and we find ourselves checking back with more urgency. And I think I've I've read recently even David Williams and Matt Lucas themselves say they wouldn't make Little Britain or that come fly with me show um with the same characters today no, absolutely with ting tong from tooting oh, yeah absolutely. i mean you know I, but to be fair i remember there being quite a lot of shock about that at the time mm. i don't think it entirely slipped out uncommented on i remember people being unhappy about it when it, I, mean, I, remember I, I hated it i absolutely it. It hated terrible. every minute of it sorry to interrupt but you know i, I, oh, yeah, I was one of them i couldn't bear the thing i think it's terribly difficult i mean i've loved the simpsons but whether it 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 to, to gets reevaluated like those other shows, possibly even devalued by history. I rather mm. fear um, it's possible it will. I think is, is yeah. the answer to that. Which is a shame because the early episodes, mm. I think, are genuinely great art. So it is, a, it is to some extent a pity if that was lost as well. No need, of course, to reevaluate Juliet. We just need to know where we can hear and see more Juliet this coming week. Well, that is nice. I'm glad that you're encouraged by that. Oh, I would yeah. like to. I would like to uh, to be able to tell you that I was DJing here and everywhere, but I'm not this week, which uh, actually is a bit of a relief in its uh, way. Um, I will be um, doing Indie Wonderland on uh, Wednesday, the 9th of May, at um, eight o'clock till ten o'clock in the Alt Rock Miscellaneous um, com. I'm also very much looking forward to the most wonderful time of the year, not Christmas, but in a way LGBT Christmas, as it is Eurovision next Saturday. Today, oh, so I suspect course, I will be doing yeah. something very fun for that. Oh, excellent. Um, thanks to you for listening. Yes, always thanks to you for and listening. And thanks to executive producer Rona. Very much so, yes. Now, our closing track um, this week, George, it reminds me of um, when I bumped off school in 1970 to go and see the um, movie of Woodstock. Yes, indeed, and uh, I um, I I don't know what exactly moved me to pick this, but I just um, I just decided that I um, that I was quite keen on this. There, it, of course, it samples things from Woodstock, as you say. Um, I heard it years ago on Steve Lemack, and the the uh, the context in which I heard it was: Do you remember the disar- the the brilliant slash disastrous interview when the Gallagher brothers turned up drunk? 
to uh, to promote Be Here Now oh, on yes, Radio 1 on yes. Steve Lamatt's evening session, and it all went rather wrong, because I hadn't anticipated that Noel was going to leave Liam with him, and there was a huge row on air, and Liam ended up walking out. Mm. Well, at the point at which things got very tense, I can't remember if Liam had walked out at this point, or Liam sort of stopped, they sounded like they were <laughs> going to row. Um, there was a tense pause, and um, as Lamac puts it in his, bio, his autobio, going deaf for a living, one of the, him or the team rather hurriedly smacked play on this song to try and move things along and so when I heard it fairly recently it always reminds me of that and it always makes me laugh for that reason but I do like Death in Vegas a great deal I think that they're rather underrated they, they produce some brilliant music I think they did actually and ironically they did go on to use Liam Gallagher as a guest vocalist on one of their tunes but uh, I'm going to play this so if you're ever experiencing a moment of social awkwardness by all means do press play on this track this is Death in Vegas and Dirt this is one thing that I was going to wait a while before we talked about it. Maybe we'll talk about it now so you can think about it. Because you all, we all have to make some kind of plans for ourselves. It's a free concert from now on.
You have been listening to a DAC Media Production.